a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Well, after the U.S. Department of Defense released videos of what appear to be UFOs or UAPs, an identified aerial phenomena, in April of 2020, Congress demanded a report to look at these incidents. They created the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force because whenever in doubt, form a committee. Uh, the task force was to detect, analyze, and catalog these events, as well as to gain insight into the nature and origin of UFOs. Uh, we're very pleased to be joined now by author and editor Jason Colavito uh, to tell us about what the report actually says. Jason, welcome to the program, and uh, what is in this report? Hi, it's great to be with you. Well, uh, the report catalogs what the UAP task force uncovered in their investigation, uh, it was only a couple of people working part-time with almost no resources. So over the course of a very short period, about six months, they managed to gather 140-some-odd cases of uh, UFO sightings by the military and determined that they had no idea what all but one of them was. Now, that sounds uh, surprising and shocking, but... When you consider how little time they had and how little investigative effort went into the analysis of those cases, it's not really all that surprising that they don't know. Uh, obviously, it's going to take more resources to figure it out. So the report tells us that they don't know and speculates on some of the ways that they might find out. And overall, the thrust of the report is basically that it's a brief for uh, more research, a permanent UFO investigation and a lot more funding uh, in order to make it work. And the Pentagon, true to form, announced shortly after the report was released that they were in fact forming a permanent, uh, or at least semi-permanent, UFO investigative uh, outfit that is going to require resources and defense contracts and all of that good stuff so that it will be a perpetual uh, investigation. If history is any guide, uh, the results are probably going to be the same as the last 70-some-odd years of investigation, probably a whole lot of nothing and a whole lot of money spent to get uh, very few results. Yeah. So they were uh, declaring this to be an interim report. They released the last Friday on these, as you mentioned, uh, these 144 reported cases, uh, 143 of them they just uh, didn't have sufficient information on or data uh, to attribute the incidents, incidents to specific explanations. Uh, and this is one of those, uh, I, I'm glad you went to this point. I'm, I'm 
assuming that uh, figuring out what UFOs are has to be infrastructure because everything seems to fit into that category at the moment. Uh, but you mentioned that it, they're uh, now that the Defense Department is now saying, yep, we need a standing committee or we need a standing task force on this. Uh, have they given any indication into what kind of funding or what kind of resource requests they're going to make uh, around this particular area? Uh, not to my knowledge. The uh, spokesman for the Defense Department put out a press release with a little bit of information about what they were planning uh, last Friday, but it didn't say a whole lot about the specifics, only that they're starting the process of deciding what resources they're going to need and how to appropriate the funding for them. If history is any guide, that usually turns out <laughs> to be a uh, an open-ended process that revolves around a whole lot of contracts and a whole lot of profit, for the people who have been interested and invested in this process since the beginning, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction. Uh, we were ta- we were just talking about uh, some of the Medicare changes that are going to be tucked into the reconciliation bill. I'm gonna predict that the uh, unidentified aerial phenomena task force funding request is going to be on page 673 of the reconciliation bill, just to make sure that uh, nobody actually reads it before they uh, sign off on that. Is that a fair guess today? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't say. Uh, You know, I don't know where the money's going to come from, but it's pretty clear that there are people who want to spend that money, even if uh, people like Senator Mitt Romney are saying that there really isn't a whole lot of impetus to devote a whole lot of resources to this uh, particular issue when there are so many more important things going on in the country that need to be taken care of first. Yeah, such uh, such vital stuff uh, for us. And uh, again, we appreciate you joining us, Jason Colavito, uh, author, uh, editor based in uh, upstate New York. And uh, appreciate you joining us today to to break down the uh, the big report and the fact that we still don't know what is flying out there in the universe. But I'm sure we'll have contractors and uh, all kinds of uh, funding going after that to tell us the same thing maybe uh, a year from now. But Jason, we appreciate you joining us today. Anytime. All right. You have a great day. All right. Uh, again, that's uh, talking about the report that was released on uh, UFOs. And per usual, we, we don't know anything. We weren't able to identify anything. And so whenever in doubt, we're going to form another committee, another task force, and we're going to spend a lot of money around it. Again, my prediction is this will be on page 673 of the Reconciliation Bill. And uh, there'll be lots of funding around that. All right, we're going to shift gears here uh, real quick. As uh, we just announced here on KSL News Radio, the recommended name uh, for what is currently uh, Dixie State University has come out. Lindsay Ertz joins us in studio. Uh, what did we learn from the meeting today, and uh, what's the recommendation moving forward? Yeah, so the Board of Trustees for Dixie State University is now recommending the name of Utah Tech University. Uh, which now has to be approved by the State Board of Education and the state legislature. So that's the name. The name that a committee recommended was Utah Polytechnic State University. Now this meeting today, the Board of Trustees shortened that name. They are now recommending Utah Tech University. There was also a motion to call the campus the Dixie campus of Utah Tech University. So wanting to keep that Dixie name, the region kind of in there. Um, But yeah, I spent the last 90 minutes, you know, monitoring this meeting. There were a lot of passionate speeches for and against that former name. Um, One board member actually said, Utah Polytech 
State University was an epic fail, and we can admit that. And so the board admitted that that was not a great name. They got a lot of feedback, a lot of pushback from the community, a lot of students arguing that their voices weren't being heard in this whole process. And so now the new name being recommended is Utah Tech University. All right. And as you uh, mentioned, Lindsay, that will go to to, uh, the state board first before it goes on to the legislature, which has to be done by November. Is that correct? I can't. I couldn't tell you the timing on that, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's I think it's towards the end of the year, but it does go to the uh, Board of Education first, then to the legislature section. Yes. Yes. So it's got to get approved by both of those bodies before it officially becomes the new name of the school. All right. Fantastic. Lindsay Ertz, thanks for jumping in studio quick. Uh, I uh, was also getting some texts about the uh, passionate uh, speeches that were being given, the cases that were being made about the naming. And so, again, the the name that it will be known by Utah Tech University is the recommendation. It'll go to the uh, the board and then on to the state legislature for final approval. Uh, we'll continue to watch that. And Lindsay, thanks for jumping in last minute uh, here in studio today. And we'll continue to follow all of that on KSL News Radio throughout the afternoon. And uh, we got a big hour number two coming up today, so don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to break down uh, a really interesting event that took place at the University of Notre Dame uh, over the last two days, uh, wrapping up a little later today. Uh, on religious liberty. And so coming up at uh, 2.05, we're going to break down some of those conversations uh, and kind of a different look at the the role of religious liberty, where it actually fits, how it's being categorized. Uh, what does that actually mean in our communities? And some very interesting conversations taking place uh, between some leaders from some very interesting coalitions, uh, including uh, Elder Quentin L. Cook of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Uh, you also had Cardinal Timothy Dolan, Archbishop uh, of New York, uh, as well as other religious leaders that were all assembled there at the University of Notre Dame to have this conversation about religious liberty. Uh, what is the place of religion in the world today? Is it something that should be tucked away in synagogues and mosques and churches and homes, or is there a space for it in our community? Does it have a role in really making a difference in community and in individual lives? We'll have a deep dive religious liberty conference uh, happening at Notre Dame. We'll give you some of the insight from some of the speakers coming up next on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.